and welcome to Movie the Musical, a podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. I am your host, Ben Kay. We are here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of adaptation from screen to stage. We are a podcast that loves questions. And today's question is, how can... How can a movie so good have politics that are so bad? Because, listen, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm English. It's, it's no, no secret there. And I'm not a fan Ooh. of them. I'm not a f- I know, who knew? And I'm not a fan of the monarchy. Hashtag abolish the monarchy. And yet here we have this film that is all about monarchs and dynasty and legacy and birthrights and uh it's you know i can't say i agree with a lot of the a lot of that uh within the themes i i obviously like within the context of the film like i get it but also like from a moral perspective i'm kind of coming from a place of uh not for me no thank you well, should I? Can I start? Answering yeah, yeah say, say what. I was like, say well, what. the answer is Disney is a lot like Shakespeare, which is at the. It's very pretty, and they tell lovely stories. But like Shakespeare, they think mo- democracy equals anarchy, and should not do it. Sure. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, oh what a the people! The what people are take. evil. <laughs> In this case, the people. All lions, because of course today we are talking about ninth. We're continuing. It's our Disney season. We're going through the Disney's. Uh, they were movies first, and now they're on stage. So of course today we're talking about 1994's The Lion King, directed by Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, and its subsequent musical theater adaptation of the same name, the 1997 Broadway musical. Uh, okay. Uh, with a book by Roger Roger Allers and Irene and Irene Mechie, uh, music by Elton John, lyrics by Tim Rice, and then hold my breath, take a breath. Additional music and lyrics by Lebo M, Mark Mancina, Jay Rifkin, Hans Zimmer, Julie Taymor, and Robert Elhai. Um, a wonderful producer and editor, Brand Moorhead, uh, is running late. They will be here very soon, I promise. Um, but you, you've already heard her already, a returning guest from our Hairspray episode, uh, the wonderful director and dramaturg and just very smart human being, Chica Ike. Hello. She's Hi back. everyone. Welcome back. I'm happy to be back. Not welcome back. <laughs> yeah. For this one, especially, it seems like you were jumping for joy. <laughs> yes. Uh, M- maybe. I don't know. I mean, as much as one can jump with jet lag. But yes, I am jumping. Um, like a springbok <laughs> or an antelope, I guess, in this case. Definitely an antelope from the circle of life before they realized that they would all be eaten by this new lion. Mm. Spoilers. <laughs> um. um as yeah, I mean, so obviously we'll start talking about the movie in a second, but I will just say, as because I always like to to pin my thesis. So we talked so the previous episode last week, faithful listeners, you heard us talk about Beauty and the Beast, um, which was uh Disney's first Broadway outing, first like big scale. Uh, stage outing of a previous existing uh, property. 
and they played it pretty safe. You know, the adaptation is like the co- like uh, where they could. The costuming is very similar to the film. Obviously, with stuff like the household objects that are people and the beast to an extent, they had to change things. Um, now. What sort of parallel timelines, we'll get into this, obviously The Lion King will get into sort of how much of a huge fucking success it was, and they were like, we gotta do something with this, we gotta do something with The Lion King, it's clearly a moneymaker, we gotta find more avenues for monetization, um, but the question of course is like, how do you put lions on stage, and so it led to this strange thing, and Chica, I'm really interested in your perspective on this of just as as a fellow director sort of just I, I mean my bold my bold claim is that I think this is I mean I, I don't want to put like most I want to say like I don't want to say like this is the best or this is the most because obviously that is very subjective but like I think it is one of the most sort of I don't know I think it's an ingenious take on how to take a movie and like bring it to stage, especially like this one. I I mean, like I will say it like I this like you said, it's subjective, but I borderline of objective. I think it is the best Disney. I'll give it that Disney state uh, stage adaptation. Sure. I can't yeah. speak for other musicals, but the fact that it's still around when, uh, you know, no one's talking about Tarzan, the musical anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, like, we will the, be in a few weeks, but you're right. In the grand be, scheme like, of things, no one is talking about it. Yes. No one is still seeing it um, on Broadway versus like, I just saw it. Like I just saw it as I was walking through an empty midtown. <laughs> um, but like, it is. I mean, it is. It is the longest running Disney it is, musical. It is, and now it's the third longest running musical of all time on Broadway. Yeah, like or was. I don't know if they're resetting everything since like. The great <laughs> yeah, movie. how does yeah how does this work? Do you like now it gets reset to zero and they all have to do <laughs> it out? Uh, it'll be fantastic. No, um, I think it's just gonna keep. They're just gonna keep going because I think it's actually based off of performances. Sure. Yeah. 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 But. I mean, it's been, I did the math, it's been running for 26 years, um, or something like that. Something ridiculous. I mean, um, since, since 1997, so, yeah. yeah. So it's like 26, 27 years. Oh, God, I can't math right now. A 20, but, that's like 24, but still like a, 24. a very large number of years. Most of my life, um, which is outstanding. I mean, in an industry that two thirds of things never make their money back, they, you know, made it back in space. So I would say that its success kind of proves its point. And I think it's the most, I think it's one of the, when I go back and think about like, how do I, how do I, how do I want to like leave an imprint on stage or like tell a story on stage? I mean, like Lion King and Julie, what Julie Taymor did to Lion King is obviously one of like the top five examples. Right. And so every time. And, like, it is kind of bananas, and obviously we'll get into more specifics when we talk about the musical, just that, like, it is essentially, like, one of the only shows that you can, like, legitimately say is both a piece of commercial theatre and, like, an art- and like a- an artistically fulfilling theatrical experience. Like, I like it is somehow both, and that is kind of bananas. It's kind of, it's insane. I mean, like, and the fact that, uh, uh, not to not to shade fans of the opera, please no one kill me, but like, <laughs> and it still, is that it still more or less holds up. Um, 
like you hear jokes about like the yeah. chandelier breaking down on Phantom all the time because they don't need to keep the show up and like but Lion King the musical still holds up pretty well like it knows its audience and it drives through and there hasn't been any sort of like I don't know like it hasn't it hasn't died yet I think it's still like a driving force in terms of like artistic statements i don't know what that says about theater in this country as a whole <laughs> it says I'm a sure lot it give. says a lot and none of <laughs> none of it's positive but it still like holds up but um, where is it does it does but where did we start so the lion king uh, let's go back to uh elton john <laughs> oh, surprisingly <laughs> elton john. we surprisingly kind of start with elton john no so we start with the disney renaissance so we're a few movies in um a, a wild era, uh, a wild, beautiful era. So we had the Little Mermaid. Uh, we were talking about like the big musicals. We had uh, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and obviously Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Ninety one gets nominated for Best Picture, and so uh, one of Ala- the first. Aladdin's about to drop. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is the first animated film to get nominated for Best uh, Picture. When they only had five yeah. still. I know. Um, but yeah, so Aladdin's about to drop. Um, and then uh so they're sort of like figuring out their next films, like the next ones in development, and Pocahontas is on the horizon. And and everyone at Disney is like Pocahontas is the one. It is this I mean I mean, again, it makes sense when you're looking at well what the company had been doing up to that point. It was all Oh yeah. Like films, like with people, uh, set in various uh, cultures and places around the world. Um, they were sort of skewing more into a little bit of dramatic fare, um, and so they were like Pocahontas. Of course, this is the one. And that cast was stacked. Yeah, I mean, you got Mel Gibson. I, I mean, Judy Coon for all of you nerds, but like Judy Coon was not the main attraction of that show. It was Mel Gibson and Christian Bale with but, the fantastic chins for both of them. Yeah, Great we'll talk about everyone. we'll talk about Christian Bale more when we get to Newsies in a few episodes. Um, yes. But um, so I said, but there were essentially two productions happening at the time at Walt Disney Animation mm-hmm. Studios: Pocahontas, and I believe what was called at the time. The King of the Jungle. It's good to be the king. Name of the Lion King. And so, and it it wasn't, (laughs) and it wasn't like a big epic. Like it was just like there was some movie about lions. Um, and so obviously, like they were like, well, animators, you have a choice. Do you want to work on this uh, little lion movie? Or do you want to work on what we think is going to win us a Best Picture Oscar? This big dramatic epic about our American history, quote unquote. Uh, and they're all like, Pocahontas, that sounds great. Um, so essentially, Roger Allers and Rob Minkoff, they had to like beg like animators to come over to uh, to become part of uh, the Lion King team. Team. Yeah, wasn't it lore that, like, it was actually a punishment? I might be getting another Disney or Pixar movie uh, combined, but I, th- I think at one point it was considered, like, a punishment to have to go from Pocahontas to Lion King. It's, what a fucking punishment. And, uh, I know, right? Right, right on cue, uh, Bran, oh, no, who, was, who was kicked out of the Pocahontas room, has joined us in the Lion King room. From uh, the day we arrive in the <laughs> Zoom room. 
and blinking, turn off my self view. <laughs> With our audio levels high and our guest Chica Ike, podcast great and small on our Patreon. This is on the this is a main that feed episode. The Disney season. <laughs> this is a main feed episode on the Patreon. I love it. I know. I just Patreon was nice. It worked with prosody. It's it's true. We if love a get, three syllable word in a if song. You're gonna, if you're gonna make an entrance, you you did it in the best <laughs> way possible. I appreciate it. I was thinking of that in the car ride back, like from my previous engagements coming late to this meeting. <laughs> Um, yay, yeah, um, uh, Brett, we just, we've like just started talking about the movie and the production Great. of the movie. <laughs> didn't miss Punishments by Disney. I, I heard punishment in there, so, you know. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially the Lion King was viewed as the B movie, uh, at the time when Wild. they were making this, which is very silly. Wild um, to think but then, about. yeah, sort of things started to take shape, uh, and they were like, yeah, and they, they got to this place where they were like, all right, well, it has to be a... Uh, a movie, uh, it has to be a musical, and then, yeah, they get this sort of this bizarre idea of let's get Tim Rice and Elton John on this. Obviously, Tim Rice had been doing lyrical work for Beauty and the Beast on stage. He also, I believe, was helping out with extra lyrics for Aladdin, so he was already in the the mouse house. Um, Had Aida happened at this point? Aida's not for a while. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, it is like two thousand, early two thousand. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. So, it feels very nineties. So it, I, it, I, I, I mean, okay. I mean, Elton John Maybe just can't help it. Elton John, who obviously is not a nineties artist, he just he just emanates nineties <laughs> energy. I guess he, he was in. Well, actually, it's funny because Elton John like took it because he was in like the lowest point in his career, and he's like, "Well, I just need money." That's how he yeah. got into life, and then so, you know. So actually, wow. so here's here's my hot take because obviously we're gonna mm-hmm. dig into specifics about this movie. Um, a movie which I think is good. It is not my favorite. It is not my favorite of the Disney Renaissance films. But I've already stated last week, I think Beauty and the Beast is the one to beat. Um, I love that thing uh, so much. Chica vehemently disagrees. I, I, I will say Human Again, when they added in to, I think, the platinum edition of the VC, VHS. Sure. That is one of my favorite. That's like a top five, solid top five number. It's a good like one. Just in terms good of number. like production value, great number, everyone. Uh, but no, so but I will say, like honestly, th- so yeah, they bring in Elton John and uh, Tim Rice, and they make these songs. And I'll say, I think the songs are fine. I think the songs are fine. Um, so, okay, Circle of Life, best opening to a movie, like top five best opening sequences in a film. Like I, that Absolutely. number fucking rules. Um, Camera work. The, all the extras are doing really good work. <laughs> yeah, all the animals. The work. <laughs> like yeah, like they're fucking like actual animals who are hired to. Central work casting on, this on movie. the Savannah did really good work finding those people. You know. Yeah, uh, but so that sequence is great. Be prepared. An absolute banger of a villain song. Banger. Like, marvelous. Every other song, I could take or leave. Whoa, I'm sorry. Whoa, I'm sorry. We will not be smirch. Can you feel the love tonight? Like, oh. We will not be smirch. Can you feel the love tonight? Like, you can't. That hurts me. He won an Oscar. We can we can besmirch it. He he did. And plenty of people have accoladed this song. <laughs> I, I, Chica, oh, I think no. that song is fine. <laughs> <laughs> who such... sings it who sings it in the movie like i know that it starts with timon 
It, and um, then it's Nala and uh, Simba, but I don't think it's Matthew Broderick singing. It's not Matthew yeah, Bro- Broderick's voice. It's um, but I think it is. J- J- it's a rock singer. So Joseph Williams sings Simba, and then Sally Dworsky sings Nala. Um, right. But which is weird again, because Matthew Broderick can sing. Broadway star. <laughs> yeah. But his voice is not who I'd want singing that song. I, sure. I remember how to succeed. I don't need that. Um, <laughs> but also the Heather Headley. Like the Heather Headley, I think it's Heather Headley and Brian McKnight re- rendition of that song. Yeah, that was like the, the sure. pop version. Yeah. Chills, but I mean Heather Headley, which we'll I like Elvis' jerk version too. Honestly, well, I so like how I like his version of Circle well, of Life also. Well, oh, so this is, is actually really Wait. interesting. So, we, oh god, uh, we are a podcast divided. I, I, I got because I gotta say, really maybe I, I think, just like Elton John. I all well, listen. I love Elton. So. I love Elton John too. I went to his farewell tour, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, uh, or Farewell Yellow Brick Road, whatever the hell it was called. I went wearing a <laughs> yellow suit because I'm ridiculous. Ah. Um, I was about to say because you have to. You have a yellow suit. That's what I you had to. I had to. Um. What's your favorite it's, Elton John song? Let's do that around the table. I'll say mine is, uh, I think, is The Bitch is Back. I love that song. That's a good oh, song. That was one of mine. I can't use that one, too. You, I mean, you could. Um, I, I mean, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm a Rocket Man stan. I am. Both the song and the movie. I yeah. think that movie oh. rules. That was, that was the other one I was going to do. Um, he has a lot actually, of songs. There's a lot of them. Your song, great song. Of, that was actually going to be my, um, we'll get to it later, but that was going to be my movie musical. If I can't. Oh, uh, well, 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 all right. Well, then we'll, we'll be tight lip. We'll be tight lip. We'll be tight lip. We'll okay. Back. We'll come back. Um, but I, I mean, like, if I, if I had to think, because you guys took my two songs, um, <laughs> I would have to, this is going to sound really dumb, but I love, like, the song I find myself singing, like, unironically in the street as I go through my life is Tiny Dancer. Oh, sure. Like, I love that. I love that song. Um, it's what yeah. you call a chestnut, you know. It's like it's, it's like played out, but it is. There's a reason that it's that everybody wants to sing and do that song. No, because it's, it's a, a fantastic great, song. I will not say he's not a great composer. I just, yeah. I think, and I, I think his songs are elevated in the film by Hans Zimmer and Leboem's instrumentation oh, yeah. and sort of extra musical oomph that they add. I think that's also, what really does it for me in the movie. I will I will allow that, but also can we talk about how this is like the temp? This is the template for all Hans Zimmer music going forward. In <laughs> yes, career. I mean and this I is like it. maybe his best score, honestly. It like, is his best score. It's like magnificent. His but, Days uh, of Thunder score is pretty great too, and no, does not sound like Hans Zimmer. No, he's wonderful. I mean, literally, literally, wow. you get. You get like the black screen, red font, Walt Disney Studios, whatever it says, presents. You get that. Sun coming up. Nansen Gonya. Mabagithi Baba. Like that's that's all you need. That's all you need. Like that fucking like opening like line in Zulu. That is all you fucking need to get the ball rolling. When, when the trailer for the movie is literally the opening number of yeah. the, uh, the opening number and they're like and you understand it and they were right they were right they like literally i will never forget like you see it on the vhs but i remember seeing it in movies as well i think i remember seeing it for aladdin just being like mom i need that yeah uh-huh. um, it's it is. just the opening number and you it's, have yes. no idea what the movie's about it just saw that opening number i'm like but the strength 
of that. There's literally, they literally do a rack focus in the opening number. They have a a shot on some ants crawling on a tree, and then a rack focus to like I think it's like zebras like walking underneath. It's like how do you like that is that's a camera trick, and you're doing it with a hand drawn animation. Like I mean, again, like if it isn't like my personal like favorite of the Disney Renaissance films it is maybe just the most visually stunning absolutely of the of the Disney Renaissance who films. directed this so, th- so this is Roger yeah this is Roger Allers and I'm late everybody all right <laughs> I said you were late I say all the names no, not all of them. Uh, so Roger Allers uh, and uh, Rob Minkoff. So Roger Allers, uh, who would also go yes. on uh, to do a bunch of like other uh directing stuff he directed uh there's an animated version of khalil gibran's the prophet that he directed okay (laughs) i don't know Uh, sure he directed a short film of the little match girl um rob minkoff is sort of the the one who really took off as a director. He directed the Stuart Little films. He directed well, uh, The Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. Uh, he directed Mr. Peabody and Sherman, of course. Sure. Um, and uh, I believe, right? Oh my gosh. Uh, Chica, maybe you know this. I forget if you're a real housewife person. Uh, oh, that is. That's my wife. Rob Minkoff's <laughs> wife is a real housewife of Beverly Hills right now. Wow. Uh, I think so, yeah. Crystal. Yeah, Crystal. If anyone's watching the uh, real housewife of Beverly Hills, um, Crystal's husband is one of the directors of The Lion King. Of The Lion King. Uh, Weird. To quote, a Rich- to quote a Richard Sherman song, it's a small world after all. <laughs> I hate everything you just did. But um, he also worked on Black Cauldron, and he did mm-hmm. some work for Black Cauldron, and I want to say Oliver and Company, which are two of my like, yeah. two of my like, I'll go back and I'll watch you, um, movies, and I'll have fun <laughs> with you. Yeah, they're like, yeah, they're folks who sort of like had Oliver and Company's very fun. Uh, but they, were, yeah, they were two animators. Billy Joel to Elton John too. Exactly. They sort of Weird. worked themselves up the ranks and uh, were directing uh, a feature film. Who knew? Um, but oh, yes. Who knew that's how it's supposed to work? Actually, <laughs> what? No, no, no. How it's supposed to work is you direct like a Levi's commercial and then Disney gives you $70 million to direct a property of theirs. That's how it's well, supposed and, to work. But, but it has to be based off of a, a B list ride. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes. Um, so coming the to line, theaters the today. <laughs> ride the cruise. Hashtag oh ride the God. cruise. Um so Lion King, it's pretty and again, like if we talked about this last week on Beauty and the Beast. I see I think Lion King's another one where just the economy of storytelling mm-hmm. from scene to scene is just yes. masterful. Moves along. Yes, I mean, what it's what is it like 75, 80 minutes? This thing fucking flies. Um, I really wow, want to say that it's, a tight seven, it's a tight 75. Yeah, wow. who knew? Bring it back. 
<laughs> Bring uh, back short movies. But yeah, so it's essentially just like uh, Mufasa, uh, voiced by, yes. uh, of course, uh, James L. Jones is the king. He's just had a son, Simba. Uh, the child version, played by Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Um, but his... Uh, Evil, evil, and fantastically queer-coded brother Scar, voiced by Jeremy Irons, uh, mm-hmm. who is seriously uh, one of his top five roles. <laughs> literally, the first line of dialogue in the film is Scar saying, "Life's not fair, is it?" Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the most camp, I just yeah, I just can't imagine the fun that Jer- like it's like when I imagine performances of Disney Renaissance and like the ones that they show in like the grainy, like that grainy behind the scenes featurettes and shit. It's like you watch Robin Williams in the Hawaiian shirt. And then you see Jeremy Irons, like looking like the masterful actor he is with his glasses and his scarf saying these (laughs) lines. I just, I don't, I, I love it. I just can't imagine how much fun he had. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just want to see the like B roll. Sorry. Continue. Um, and speaking of Jeremy Irons, uh, he's in the news recently, um, because yeah, the trailer, the trailer, no, he didn't do anything. He's in a movie that a trailer just dropped for, uh, House of Gucci. <gasps> yes, I did see that. I forgot he was in that. Father, son, House of Gucci. Um, I, I don't, it looks, uh, ridiculous. Uh, I, I do love Jeremy and I do love Jeremy Irons and campy roles. What yeah. is this movie about? It's about the Gucci family, uh, and the, the scandal and murder within the House of Gucci. Uh, Lady Gaga's in it, Adam Driver's in it. Jared Leto is caked in makeup in it. Uh, Al Pacino is Al Pacino is in it. Uh, and and uh, as I said, Jeremy Irons is in it. It's a Ridley Scott joint coming out this November. Um, House of Gucci. For me, I, I was I was fully satisfied on my uh, weird murder related to fashion with Ryan Murphy's um, American <laughs> Crime Story of Johnny Versace. Nope. Nope. Gotta have a Gucci one now. Yep. Yeah, and if someone told me that this was Ridley Scott's joint and not Ryan Murphy's, I still don't completely believe it. <laughs> um, um, but so aliens yeah. and Gucci. Great. Okay. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so yeah. So it's this like uh, you know Simba is a young precocious lion cub being raised by his father, who's like trying to teach him the ways of the force. I mean, the ways of the pride <laughs> lands. Uh, and. I love that uh, early on, he's just like, um, you know, every animal lives in peace. Um, and from the smallest bug to the biggest antelope. But Papa, we eat the antelope. Yes, but you see, when we die, we trickle down into the grass. And that, <laughs> and that feeds the antelope. <laughs> the words trickle down are not used in the I know that not. <laughs> We are coming in the 90s, and Reagan politics have, uh... Of in the background, have, have, I yeah, suppose. Sure. But, but, right, it's just, like, it's so weird. Let the beta king. It's like, oh, yeah, no. I said they see through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they see through into the grass that the antelope will then eat. <laughs> That's where the Reagan <laughs> politics went. Um, but either way, um, and then you get... Uh, so, again... 
voice cast, absolutely stellar. Stellar. We already talked about uh, James L. Jones, uh, who's wonderful, perfect choice for Mufasa, and Jeremy Irons, slimy, campy villain. Uh, I think Rowan Atkinson is kind of underrated as Zazu. I think he's very fun. Yeah. He's very Super good. annoying character. I mean, intentionally so, but like, yeah. so he does pretty you, great yes. with it. So yeah, you get Mr. Bean and just plug him in there. Yes. Um, it's very good. Um, and also well, Nathan Lane. Na- Nathan, sure. I mean, Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella as Timon and Pumba. I mean, so mm-hmm. they were, they went into audition together for Hyenas. And oh. apparently uh, back in a, like an earlier version of the film, they were brought into audition as hyenas. And apparently they just had such a fun dynamic that they were like, oh, well, they would actually make more sense for these Timon and Pumbaa characters. So that's how that worked out. And then, cool. like a lot of it. I love uh, when like Simba's like sadly walking away and Timon's like, oh, man, that kid looks blue. And Pumbaa's like, I'd say brownish gold. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's such a good line. <laughs> So stupid. stupid. No, I mean he's depressed. Yes, yes, exactly. Very it's good. good. They have very good banter. It's uh, very vaudevilly. Nice exactly. You know? I mean, again, you have the fucking like you get some stage actors. That's what they're mm-hmm. gonna do, and it works out very well. Uh, but yeah, so Simba and Nala apparently like betrothed as children. Uh, totally normal. Sucks for them. Uh, but he, but uh. Simba just can't wait to be king, and so he uh, declares as such uh, in a raucous musical number. It's just a fun Busby Berkeley number with these, like, multicolored animals, like, parading around. And it's a delight. It's a joy. Um, they the just, level like... on the Super Nintendo game for that song, <laughs> damn near impossible. So hard. <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah, Scar tell Scar had told Simba about uh, the elephant graveyard, and it sounds so fun. And so he uh, tricks like Zazu uh, into like getting like trapped under like a hippo's butt or some shit, uh, a rhino butt maybe, some kind of animal butt. Um, and so Nala and Simba sneak off to the elephant graveyard where they get. Trapped by three nasty hyenas. Uh, oh, again, uh, so you got Cheech Marin as one of uh-huh. them. And then you got Whoopi Goldberg, who, again, I think is kind of underrated in how great she is yes. in that role. Oh, God. So good. Really, really marvelous. And then, and then Ed's just an idiot. <laughs> Ed, yep. The other hyena is just like tongue sticking out. Um, but yeah, Cheech, uh, would be Goldberg. that actor? Jim. Just cackling a lot. It's, it's Jim Cummings who does the voice of... Oh, of course it is. He does the voice of Tigger. And yeah, a bunch of those fucking... Yeah, uh, he's come up several times on our podcast before. He's great. Well, so, and he'll come up again. So obviously, so you got, uh... Be Prepared, which we already alluded to, is a banger of a villain song. Excellent. Great. Good. Scar singing to his uh, goose-stepping hyena army. Mm-hmm. Um, Laying it on thick. I know. Laying it on real thick, but yet at the same time, incredibly camp. I, I mean, it is, it's beautifully yes. stylized animation. Yeah, here, I was just which about is, to say, I love how is, the color palette of that song is totally different than the rest of the movie. It's like that yeah. neon green and like charcoal gray. Yeah, everywhere. but so Cool. Like the fire from the lava. Yeah. So obviously Jeremy Irons is singing for quite a bit of the song, but Jim Cummings, I think Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Talking. Yeah. Well, there's some sing talking, and I think there are some moments where like 
Jeremy Irons' voice just wasn't in it that day. So they brought in Jim Cummings to kind of fill in the spots. And you can kind of tell when he switches, but, like, it's it's pretty good. He does a pretty good job of, like, disguising it, yeah. trying to keep it as one distinct voice from beginning to end. Um, Jim Cummings, talented dude. Um, mm-hmm. a great song. Um... Then we get the, and then uh, Mufasa dies. Uh, spoilers, Mufasa dies. Uh, there's a vicious <laughs> the stampede. There's a vicious stampede, uh, and Mufasa tr- and Simba's trapped in the middle, and Mufasa tries to save him, and he does. But as Mufasa's climbing back up the rocks, Scar finds him and pushes him off. Long live the king! And he falls. This, I mean, good. this the saddest moment is when the stampede is done. And Dad! S- yeah, it's just like Simba goes up to the fucking the corpse, corpse of his, of his father. father. Yeah, and it's just like Dad, Dad! You get up oh. the little paw. He like lifts the paw. And it's, it's I'm like tear, tearing up thinking about it. Sad kitty. Yeah. Well, there's so many memes about how that's like the, still the defining moment for most millennials. It's just like we see the picture of it and we see dad and we just like, oh, God, no. <laughs> it's, it's sad. sad. It's, it's like that and Prince of Egypt are the re- like those are two movies. I'm like, those are magnificent movies, but I can't watch it because it just hurts. It hurts. It hurts too much. No, thank you. No, thank you. Um, so Scar's like, run away, Simba. Run away and never come back. Um, because he killed his daddy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, he, he meets uh, Timon and Pumbaa, uh, Meerkat and Warthog, who are wonderful. They got their own spin-off show on the Disney Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, it and was then, and, not good. <laughs> and then, of course, they <laughs> and, and the, the Lion King, and we'll like allude to it, obviously, when we talk further. But yeah, I mean, it's it became a franchise in mm-hmm. and of itself. I mean, you obviously you had the Lion King two, Simba's Pride. You had the Lion King one and a half. Basically, uh, the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead of the first pretty movie. Much. Yes, yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, you had this uh, Nintendo game. Uh, yeah. Which yeah, it was, was uh, it was on Genesis too. It was a, it was a cross platform. Y- yeah, I mean that's uh, how the good ones were. They made that into Aladdin. Con- yeah, yeah, it a, did. It's the same. Some company made those actually. There's they're a all contemporary hard as hell. There's also a contemporary adaptation uh, TV show, The Lion God, I believe. So like they're keeping yes. they're keeping the franchise going. Um, and then another entry, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, which I don't want to talk about right now. Um, what about um, what about the property no. that they completely ripped this off from? Oh, sure, yeah. So it is uh, widely speculated uh, for very good reason uh, that this is based... I said for very good reason. Um, (laughs) suggestible. That this is based on a Japanese uh, anime called Kimba the White Lion. Um, Now, Kimba and Simba sound pretty similar. I'll give them that. Um, And they are both properties about lions and there are i believe there are very very early sketches of the lion king where simba was a little white lion so yeah it's also like frame by frame i love that they just i love that they just kept simba i love that they are like yeah we'll keep this no one will suspect a thing (laughs) like even if they i bet if they'd like even just changed his name to something that didn't fucking rhyme with kimba they might have been able to get away with it but (laughs) yeah it is you are right brad it is 
probably heavily based on Kimba the White yeah. Lion. I mean, there was an eight, there was a series in the in like late '80s, and there was a movie that came out in Japan in 1997 of Kimba yeah. the White Lion. Like, mm-hmm. okay, anyway. I think it's the guy who made Astro Boy. I believe made. I believe it uh, is. Kimba. Yes, yeah. I believe you're right. Anyway, as we know, the Disney company, completely ethical in every way. Loves um, ripping people off. But then, yeah, Timon, Timon and Pumbaa sing Akuna Matata, which again, fine, fun song. Whatever. I think I, I like that one. They eat bugs. Eating bugs is cool. <laughs> you all better get used to it because we're all going to be eating bugs soon. Yeah. Uh, it was our childhood first foray into nihilism. It was fantastic. <laughs> Nothing matters. Uh, yeah, we never suspected a thing. Yep, they're just slacker stoners. It's cool. It's true. I mean, it's it's surprising that in a movie with Cheech Marin, he's not voicing one of these characters. Yeah, right. Um, he's an evil th- idiot instead. Yes, but now so Scar has taken over the Pride Lands. Uh, it's gone to shit. It's gone to shit. Uh, he's just like he's clearly not good at ruling anything. No, it's pretty shitty at his job. Uh. The hyenas have eaten everything. There's, there's, there's a drought, starvation. Nothing's great anymore. Um, he may have eaten his brother. May, may yeah, possibly. Maybe. That, yeah, that would have sucked. Um, but so now Simba is uh, older and and hotter. It must be said. He's quite, he's an attractive lion. He's a hot lion. Mm-hmm. Don't understand Good hair. how that happened. Great nice hair. Nice shoulders. Hair. <laughs> great, great shoulders. Strutting. <laughs> and then he runs in yeah he runs into Nala Nala comes hunting for food and tries to eat Pumba and Simba's like no 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 that's a friend we don't eat friends uh that's uh but so, so he does he, not understand this but then there's a lot of there's a lot of sexual tension between the two of them with this song that you both love so much can you feel the love tonight it's fine <laughs> it's fine no <laughs> You were on my side. I was not on either <laughs> side. I just think it's better than Ben says, but I wouldn't say it's like a fantastic piece of like music. I'll, I'll say of the three songs that were nominated for the Oscar that year, it was this, Hakuna Matata, and Circle of Life. There is a clear winner in those three. I mean, yes. What was it up against that wasn't in Lion King? What a question. Um, it doesn't not... matter. <laughs> it matters. Uh, I'm just curious. Wait. Context clues, you know? No, absolutely. But I mean, like, I, I don't know. I think Circle of Life is the best of those songs, in my opinion. But Elton John is the better of the, is like the name that people recognize. And in English, so obviously. Yeah. Sure. I know, it's true. Um, And it's so funny, because, like, can you feel the love tonight? It's, like, 6 p.m. Like, it's, like, <laughs> it's still, there's a little bit of sunlight. I don't know. What night we're talking about? I know the it's again. Everything in this movie is visually stunning. I'm not gonna argue it's not. Um, and he like they kind of roll around in the grass, and he she gives him the bed those bedroom eyes, you know. Uh, okay, yeah, so this is finally pins her again. <laughs> sexual <laughs> tension. Um, so to answer your question, the other two nominees, uh, for best original song. Uh, there's a song called Look What Love Has Done by James Newton Howard, James Ingram, Carol Bayer-Sager, and Patti Smith from the film Junior. <laughs> 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 I 
Arnold Schwarzenegger oh, yeah. pregnancy comedy. Sure. Um, and then a and then a Randy Newman song called "Make Up Your Mind" from the film The Paper. You know, I've you know never the paper? heard of either of those. Ron Howard comedic drama, The no, Paper. Thank you. Already asleep. <laughs> so yeah. So what obvious, if there was paper? What? <laughs> so obviously, a Lion King song had to win that year. But I think Circle of Life is the superior song of those three. Yes. Um, but which one can be performed by Elton John at the Academy Awards? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um. Then Have we get we get my favorite scene in the movie, uh, which is the scene with a where... character we haven't even talked about. I yet. know, I know. I'm, the I... king, the god, Rafiki. Oh. Rafiki, Rafiki is maybe Rafiki is maybe the best character in the movie. Honestly, in one uh, of my favorite like character tropes, which is like psychotic old person, like who yes. just like lives in a tree by himself and draws on the wall. He's like, a Yoda. Pretty he's cool a Yoda. monkey. He's a Yoda character essentially he's yeah a cool, he's a everything he's an ape which is even better <laughs> he's, played, ape. he's played he's played by robert guillaume who did who does wonderful work um mm-hmm. he's benson he was benson uh from the show benson okay all right all right oh, whatever. 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 one more time one more time <laughs> you ever heard of benson <laughs> nope but he's <laughs> but he's well, he technically he's technically he's originally from Soap, but he got a spinoff called Benson. Uh, whatever. Oh. Benson Robert, from Robert... Soap. Now I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's wonderful. And what's great is that he see he's like he's mystical in in whatever vague Af- white people uh, portraying African yeah. culture way uh, that is portrayed in the film. But then he's a fool. It's like, it's a reverse Yoda, right? He's a goober. He is kind yeah. of a goober. But it's I love, I just, I love this scene with, with Simba mm-hmm. where he's just like showing Mufasa's like reflection in the pool. And obviously you get the big, It means like, that you're a baboon and I'm not. <laughs> Good line. Yes. And then the obviously you get the big Mufasa in the sky moment, which is just legendary, just mm-hmm. marvelous. And then you have That's the moment. With, the with, yeah, it, it, it is apparently. That's what I've heard. Is this uh, where he like falls and the, the petals like go through the wind and he's and Rafiki like smells well, that's, them. That's right? earlier. Oh, oh, that's earlier. Yeah, that's how. And that that's, was. That's how yeah. Rafiki knows that Simba's that's alive. That's right. That's right. And that was that was always the part that that was that supposedly like when the stuff stuff rises up and it spells out sex yeah. for like a frame. You know, it was like the animators being cheeky or whatever to like Who sneak knows? in some stuff. Well, uh, there's always a little bit of that, and especially in this Disney period, because there was like the penis on the mermaid, <laughs> the, the penis castle on the mermaid box. Yeah. There's the line in Aladdin, like the muttered under his breath, where he's like, Take "Listen, off your clothes, you, or you try a, you try animating a hand drawn film for three years. How about you try and sneak some shit in there too?" Oh, absolutely. I'm not against <laughs> it. I just think it's funny. I like that there's horny animators. We try to do it with every show we do, like uh-huh. every yeah. every theater show we do. We oh, have yeah. six weeks, and I'm like, I will find a way to get a penis drawn somewhere. Yes. Uh, but then, yeah. So uh, Rafiki, uh, Rafiki, 
Rafiki urges uh, Simba to go take back what is rightfully his through birthright. Uh, a great message for children. Uh, and then Simba, uh, uh, Simba and Nala and Timon and Pumbaa all go back to the Pride Lands. Love the little bits with... Uh, the loot where Timbo, Timon's like, what do you want me to do? Put on a tinky skirt to do the luau. And he does. It's very cute. Apparently, so they storyboarded this sequence. And Jeffrey Katzenberg, this is very, this is true. He was like, oh man, this is great. But instead of whatever dumb song you wrote, they should be singing Stayin' Alive by the Bee Gees. What? And luckily, they were able to have a test screening before they were even able to attempt that. And everyone loved, like, the song that appears in the movie so much that they were like, yeah, that's Stay. We're not replacing it with no. fucking Stayin' Alive. I'm not gonna pay the Bee Gees for a stupid joke. I mean, again, this is Jeffrey Katzenberg, the guy who would eventually make shrek happen mm -hmm. like this makes sense this is in character for the man yep. they do they do get tidbit that i like <laughs> <laughs> they, listen they got pumba to say they call me mr pig which is pretty good yes and even before i understood the reference as a child fantastic line yeah. <laughs> oh you shouldn't have done that pig yeah, but then, yeah, you get this final sort of battle sequence. Yeah, you got, like, the whole, the whole fucking savannas on fire surrounding the Pride Rock. Wild. It's chaotic. It's a bit like... It's it chaotic. It looks beautiful. Yeah, Sarabi, yes. uh, uh, the mother, it's wonderful, yeah. Just surround... Anyway, but it's, like, the biggest moment, obviously, is when Scar comes flying through yes. the... Flying through the fire to attack him. Oh, so that final fight... It's great. It's great. Um, a masterpiece. And it's then, also yes. like using camera. Well, it's not camera technique, I guess, but they're like, it's in slow motion, which yeah. I remember being like, whoa, in a cartoon, this is crazy as a kid. <laughs> yeah. And then they speak. It just, oh, it's so yeah, good. It's very cool. And then, yeah, so, so uh, Simba doesn't kill Scar. He's just like the same thing when I was a kid run away and never come back. But then the hyenas are like, you were fucking using us, you asshole! And uh, they eat him. They eat him. They yeah. eat him. Well, <laughs> he tries to, cause like he's like gonna let him go, and then he like slides, like throws yeah. ashes in his face or whatever, and jumps, and he just kicks him over. Yeah, the cliff, and he lands by all Your his Majesty. Buddies. Yeah, <laughs> Your Majesty. And then they kill him in shadow, and then the, it's so. And then the and it rains, and then of course it's it starts raining. The fire goes out. He climbs up onto the rock and just again that that Hans Zimmer yeah. score during that moment. Uh -huh. The da 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 da. Yeah, it's great. And then the circle the circle of life continues. And uh, they have another kid, and it's cute, mm -hmm. and it's the highest-grossing hand-drawn animated film of all time. Wow. It is. For a while, it was just the highest-grossing animated film of all time. Um, but it's Did now a Pixar movie beat it. That now, so now it's number twelve on the list of Whoa. animated movies of all time. You want to know what the number one animated movie of all time is? Is Frozen? it Mars Meets Mars? Mars Meets Mars. <laughs> deep cut uh, no well the art <laughs> a deep cut we love to see it oh um, man 
Yeah, you killed me. I, no, Mars the number moms. one, the number one answer actually brings us back to a uh, a, a recurring uh, segment on this season of Moving the Musical, uh, entitled "Why did they make a live action version?" Why of this? the fuck did they make a live action version of this? So. Now, and I say live action in heavy quotes, because of course, this isn't live action, it's fucking computer animated. Um, yeah, completely. So, so in 2019, <laughs> uh, they made a, just a, a photo realistic remake of The Lion King. Um, Chica, have you seen it? Um, unfortunately. Yeah, what do you think of it? <laughs> I didn't finish it. Oh, nice. I, I think that says all you they need to say. To. Yeah. I think it was just, I mean, as someone who grew up with the original one, I mean, like, and they've broken down the, like, they've broken down the literal science of why that version doesn't succeed where the, like, the, where the 90s version did. And, like, yeah. yes, it's all compelling, but it's also just really fucking boring. Yeah. Like, it, yep, we'll yep. get into it with the musical, but it's like, do something new with it. Um, but Beyonce... And they don't dance Black or anything. And they don't yeah, they're dance! Yeah, they're, they're just, just animals! Lions. They're just It's just animals, and they're just... It's, it's, it should have been silent with real animals and just a silent movie <laughs> like The Bear from the 80s, you know? They Here's, just film uh, live animals. I, know, I, wanna, I want us roar. to keep moving... I want us to keep moving because the because the musical is obviously much more interesting. But uh, all, I, all I'm going to say about the li- the Lion King remake of 2019 is um, I I don't say this lightly. It is the worst movie I've ever seen. It is I think it's the wor- I think it's the worst movie I've ever seen. Um, and if any if someone again I don't like to judge people, but if someone tells me that they like the movie, they're either lying or I don't tr- I don't trust them. I don't I do not Beyonce Sam. But yeah, I said, yeah, they're Beyonce stands, and we can't but say. She's not even I good say, in the movie. She's not good. She's not a good actress, and we all need to admit it because Black is King is so good. That, so that's the thing. Like, that is brilliant. Have, have you, Brad? Have you seen Black is King? I have not. I've so seen it's essentially like her. Black is King. It's, her, it's her like movie version of the album she made for The Lion King, The Got Lion it. King, The Gift, and it sure. is like like that's what it's. It's essentially just like. That's what the Lion King remake should have been. Like some sort of like yeah. artful, like live action take on the material. Yeah. Um, it's very good. It's very good. Um, that's all I'm gonna say. Um, speaking of uh fantastic interpretations of the Lion King, uh the Lion King, 1997. <laughs> um so yeah, so obviously, so 1994 was a huge year for the Disney Corporation because they have their Beauty and the Beast stage adaptation, which of course we talked about last week is just like they did what they had to do. Um, they put the damn thing on stage, um, and they did and, it well. And they did, did it well. They did it well um, without taking too many risks per se, um, and it did well, and it was, and it ran for years. And then, of course, liking the movie comes out, so I think they're just like, all right, this thing is making all the money in the world. Another Ridley Scott movie. Uh, it's making all the money in the world, <laughs> and uh, we got to figure this out. This is our next one. This is our next stage adaptation. But of course, it's like, well, all the characters are lions and other uh, animals in the savannah. We, like, we got to figure that. We can't just do what we did with Beauty and the Beast. So, epic. So Julie Taymor. So Julie Taymor... Um, is this uh, director, 
who I think is a genius. I think she has been unfairly maligned for the past decade because of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Um, a, a musical which I think is, at the very least, very ambitious and interesting. Um, and So ambitious it, like, broke two people's spines, <laughs> Yes, know? I know, I know! <laughs> well, we have unions, but also she was hired because of what she did with Lion yes. King. So, obviously, ambition is her game, and if you hire her, you know what you're gonna get is a well, very ambitious. So, person. and I'll say, and like, how can you have Spider-Man without flying? It's true. And I'll say, as it's a true. brief, a brief aside, the the issue with Spider, and there's a lot of issues with Spider-Man. And as always, I re- <laughs> I recommend getting Glenn Berger's book, Song of Spider-Man, which is just a brilliant behind the scenes of that show. Um, perfect book. Love that book. But either way, what the thing about Spider-Man the musical is that like they hired Julie Taymor. Not because of the Lion King as a stage show, but because of because the Lion King makes lots of money. Yeah. That's the thing. They were like, "Oh, you know how to take a thing and turn it into a show that makes lots of money. You're going to do Spider Man." I don't think they really put two and two together. Of like, no, no, no. Julie Taymor like looks at things in a very non-Western sort of way. Yeah. Like so, like. As, like, a young theater student, she traveled to Japan, she traveled to Indonesia, and she, like, learned a lot about, like, mask culture and puppet culture and dance culture. And so a lot of her work is this sort of, like, infusion, some might call it appropriation, of uh, cultures and traditions from around the world. I said some might say that. I didn't. I, you do with it what you will. We can we can dive into that later. Yes. Um, but either way, and so like like literally, so like she's brought on because I think they're just like, you know, you're someone who's like doing these weird like mask Shakespeare productions and like these like strange like, str- like artistically out there, if you will, interpretations of Shakespeare. Um, to bring back another word we used earlier, ambitious. Yes, there exactly. Um, and so they're like, all right, so what can you do with the Lion King? And so, literally, like, what she does is she looks at the show, and she's like, circles. And she's like, circle? The circle is the metaphor for the show. It's the circle of life. If you look at the mask for Mufasa, it's literally a circle. Yep. Um, Like, so much of the design of the show, like, and that's sort of just, like, how she works as a director. It's just, like, like, boiling down a story, and, like, she's obviously really interested in myths, she's really interested in folklore, she's really interested in just sort of, like, shared storytelling tradition, and that's sort of what she uses to extrapolate and build her ideas upon. Because remember, she didn't just direct The Lion King. She designed the costumes and the masks. Like, Mm -hmm. she... Yeah. But just to, like, pull it into something you said earlier, just you know, people who don't understand The Lion King, what makes it so special, especially in that time period, is that everyone almost everyone is a pu- is some form of a puppet yes. or some form of a masked person yeah um pulling very heavily from like like ben had just said like no theater and all of those different artistic traditions which is so like so it's this odd it's i don't want to say it's odd but it's like if you look at beauty and the beast versus lion king you have very standard american european fairy tale brought to life versus like an african 
no theater <laughs> confusion. Mm-hmm. Where I'm like, yes, everyone, Timon is a giant ass, like the elephant, uh, <laughs> the elephant puppet. Yeah. Like he, that's how we open Circle of Life is the elephant puppet coming down the aisle of the audience and everyone crying. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, so because that of that, huge. What I think is huge about it is, again, especially just like thinking about it, is like, it is an, it's embracing what I love about theater is that they're not hiding anything. You are seeing the puppeteers holding the puppets. You are like, they are, the puppets are built in such a way where you can like see the framework of how these things are built. She's like not trying that. There's being like, we know that we have made these things. We, you, we, we are allowing you to invest in your imagination as an audience and to invest in the stuff that we are putting on stage. That's sort of what it is. It's like, we know that obviously this isn't a lion, but like we have given you enough creative, like clues, if you will, to throw it together to be like, yes, that is a lion. Um, or that is, uh, yeah, whatever. Even more importantly, that is a king. Like, that is a king as you understand it. That is a lion as you understand it. And we have made something specifically for this version of the story that allows you to, that allows you to just translate the story however you will. Like, even talking about not hiding things, they don't even hide the chorus. Like, they designed the chorus in a way that they're essentially like a Greek chorus. So it's Greek, it's no theater, it's, African different cultures will come back to that later. But like all of these things are infused into one Disney piece. Mm-hmm. Make it make sense, Lord. <laughs> it, and it yet is... it makes and yet it makes perfect sense. It does. It totally works. And so like I said earlier in the episode, it's kind of again, it is this weird magic trick where like for, there, you know, there are few times within the history of Disney, especially within the history of Disney theatricals, where they're like willing to invest in again, like what is a theatrically fulfilling piece of stage work, even though it is like at the end of the day, it is a commercial product, right? It is so like so fascinating that they're like, again, it's like there are sequences in the stage show that are just like. South African folk songs adapted to like have pe- like you just like have a sequence like the Grasslands chant, which is just like chorus members with grass on their heads uh-huh. and like puppets moving through them. Like that's something that you would see at like a puppet convention yeah. or something. Like that's not something you would see in like a commercial Broadway show. Or the lioness hunt, which is kind of the yeah. same thing in Act One, uh-huh. where it's just a bunch of women in these lioness costumes, like having a hunt. It's a giant <laughs> South African dance on stage with these puppets. It's actually the hardest dance sequence, I think, on Broadway for a really long time because of the weight of the puppet. Yeah, it was a it was a whole thing. It was very the, interesting. They do kill a they do kill an antelope puppet on stage they in that number. It's kind of wild. It's cool. It like rips into pieces. Yeah, it's cool. It's amazing. Um, just to like, just to show all the stuff that we couldn't show in the cartoon. Why not? So I will say, so, so, and speak, so speaking of, so yeah, so they, they bring back, Le- so actually, after The Lion King, uh, Hans Zimmer and Lebo M made this uh, album, I think it was called like Songs of the Pride Lands or something like, um, and it was essentially just like 
further ext- musical extrapolations on the themes, on the musical themes in The Lion King. And so, yeah, it was a lot of sort of like South African folk music, um, this other other music that Lebo M sort of brought in. And a lot of the music and a lot of the additional songs in The Lion King stage show were pulled from that album. So yeah, stuff stuff like the Grasslands chant, stuff like the Lioness Hunt, like stuff like One by One, which opens the second act. Um, which again, yeah, it's like you, you just like you have this like moment with this like big blue circular watering hole silk, and then it's like pulled down to like show the drought that's happening. Uh, in the land Mm -hmm. so because it is interesting like when you're like looking at like okay so obviously lion king 75 minutes um film turned into an over two hour two act show what the hell are you gonna do um and it's it's a really interesting mix of stuff so like they add in these sort of lebo m uh folk uh musical moments uh elton john and tim rice Right, it's it's interesting. They only write three additional songs, really. Yeah. For the show, they write the morning report, which eventually gets cut uh, from the show. <laughs> it's a it's a very it's just a fun, cute little song for Zazu to sing. Uh, but they cut it in twenty ten. Whatever. Um. Whoa, that late? I know. Ninety minutes wow. or nine minutes had to go. Yeah, they, for whatever reason, they cut nine minutes from the show, and that strange. was part of those nine minutes. I don't know why they did. That's very strange. I couldn't find an answer to that. I it's, think, I mean, I think the show, I mean, like every, sh- not every show, but sometimes shows just get a little long sure. over time. Like, people just keep going. They're like, well, nine minutes has to go somewhere. That's people fair. are falling asleep during morning report. Uh, yeah. They wrote a song called Chow Down, which the hyenas sing, again, fine song not their best work nope and then the i think that the song that i do like that they wrote for the stage show is the madness of king scar which is just like this ridiculous uh rant for scar to sing in the middle of act two and but it also like adds this uh, creepy element of like oh scar like wants to fuck nala for the sake of like uh having offspring and it just adds it adds this sort of more sinister elements to the character uh, in the in the second act, um, so that's great. But then, yeah, he's not just a murderer; he's a horny murderer, <laughs> the worst kind, the worst kind, the worst kind. Uh, but, but then, then just the, to shadow him. Yeah. So yeah. So then uh, again, again. So that's taking the the Hans Zimmer score, and then I guess. Uh, they got Mark Mancina to write some lyrics for Shadowland, which is a song for uh, Nala to sing as she's leaving the Pride Lands to try and find help. Um, nice song, whatever. Um, uh, yes, Chica, <laughs> Chica. We won't do that to Heather <gasps> Headley. Well, okay, fine. Like, yeah, well, no. Yeah. Heather Headley originated Nala. fantastic song. It is a fantastic, it is. It's a good song. <sighs> And, th- and so is perfect. the song that they give to Simba, Endless Nights, which I guess... That is a really good song. Which I guess Julie Taymor helps to write, sure. Um, cool. She gets writing credit on that one, but again, that's also, like, pulled from, like, Lebo M and Hans Zimmer's uh, score from the film. Um, the best song that they add in this uh, show uh, is, of course, uh, He Lives in You, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Mark Mancina. Uh, Mark Vancina, who's going to come up when we talk about uh, Tarzan, because he did the he did the score for Tarzan. He did, obviously oh. he didn't do the songs, but yeah. So he, him, and Jay Rifkin and Lebo M wrote "They Live in You" slash "He Lives in You," which is just oh, it's they, very good. They use it in the Lion King Simba's Pride as well, but oh, it, 
But it just, it's so good in this show. And again, it's just, it's so emblematic of the themes and especially in the moments they use them. They use it for Mufasa singing to Simba about like the kings and the stars and then Rafiki brings it back. Oh, and of course Rafiki is given this like beautiful, like she's, Obviously, they they make her a female character. Exactly. She, yeah. Yes, they make her a female character in the show. Um, and yeah, she's sort of just this. Uh, oh god, the, the storyteller character. She's given this larger role. Um, and they get like her costume. It's just like this like beautiful p- face paint, and it's like I believe like cool big s- hands, like bamboo it, fingers. Yeah, I believe what they her, said like... is they want everything to either actually be made of found material or at the very least look Look like like it's made of found material again it 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 takes away the artificial look of it It look it looks like uh people got together with the material they had to tell the story of the lion king a lot of organic material too like the cheetahs look like they're carved out of like a single block of wood Mm -hmm. and like uh, there's a bunch of that i mean obviously the masks look like they're made out of wood too i bet they're because they'd be very heavy they're very light they're very they're they're like a very very light woods i believe or something yeah Yeah. um like chica what you were alluding to before where you're talking about like yeah like the phantom of the opera like back from like the late 80s like yeah that that chandelier keeps breaking down it looks cheap and again because it's like it was made to look like what a high-tech 80s production would look like so of course 30 years later that's not gonna look good but like with the lion king if it looks like something that is just so organic then of course that's gonna hold up over because Uh again that's storytelling that's communal storytelling that's ideally that is always going to impress and be meaningful however long however the hell long that show is gonna run for and it just inherently in an industry that like as much i you know i love broadway but like in an industry that like is always looking for the next discovery it is a show that is inherently accepting of the theatrical in fact theatrical. i mean like do they have in that time period did they have the money and technology to create an actual watering hole yes did they choose 100%. the blue fabric which was our introduction to blue fabric thank you later mary zimmerman but like, like and they, they made conscious choices and i think those conscious choices and yes are those costumes expensive as hell for it being organic here yes but like it's a show that i can't i can't think of how else to do the epicness of lion king the epicness of Lion King, the movie, without yeah. that theatrical and, and theatrical, that just insane theatricality, that ambitious yeah. theatricality. But at the same time, I'm sure they could. I'm sure they could. It wouldn't have been so good. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if they would have taken a cat's approach and just put everybody in leotards and like face I mean, makeup? That's what. That's what. That's what that's what the joke was when it was first announced. Yeah. They were like, "Oh, it's just gonna be big cat." They called it big, big cats. cats. That's a pretty good joke. <laughs> big cats. I know it's it is. It's, it's a good joke. Funny. Um, but yeah, like uh, for, talking at least from like an adaptation because obviously it's interesting because like so much of this is obviously tied to the original production, and because that's really all that exists at the show right now, right? Because yeah. it's like it's not available for licensing on a major level um probably i mean i i don't even i'd be so curious there is a junior version i believe but yeah it's like 
if you're seeing the Lion King in a non-junior version, you are seeing Julie Taymor's Lion King. So, yep. like, that is her... So, like, it is obviously indebted to that. Um, I know a, a fun fact uh, that in China, um, they... Because, I mean, well, again, like, obviously, like, it is built upon... Uh, South, mainly South African themes because, like, that's sort of the Lebo M of it all. Um, th- there's obviously, and like, it's sort of this amalgam of Julie's interests. It's like Balinese and Japanese and Indonesian, whatever, whatever the heck she's gonna throw in there. But like, I think there's something interesting that, yeah, like, depending on like where this can go in the world, maybe like the storytelling traditions of where it is playing can factor into your production of it. So, for example, in China, apparently one of the songs was adapted to a well-known Chinese pop song called uh, Lao Shu Ai Daimi, or Mice Love Rice, and allegedly the cast would even crack jokes and attempt conversations with the audience in Chinese. Okay. So there you go. Make of it... Do The Lion King. Make it your own, wherever. Um, but yeah, like from an adaptation, just from a script perspective, because I mean, the script is co-written by Roger Allers, one of the directors of the film. Um, and Irene Mechi was also one of the, yeah, they're both screenwriters from the film. So it's like, it's pretty close to the movie. I would say, honestly, the biggest things are, you, are the like we alluded to before, the moment with Scar, and then there's this extra scene thrown in where Timon almost falls off of a waterfall, and it sort of triggers this thing in Simba of like him remembering, like, oh, I had a loved one who almost fell off a thing once, and then he sort of uh, gets scared, um, and it's it sort of like it triggers like everything with Mufasa. Interesting. Um, yeah, so so that's sort of like the yeah, one. That's, that's all. That's kind of like the. Did they cut that moment? Is that one of the nine minutes they cut? Could have. I, I was like, of the nine minutes they cut, they cut a whole song and they. No, cut it's it's a character building moment for for, for what's his face for Simba. I don't know what's his face, but I mean, what's like even face? the moments that they for even the moments that they did add, like endless night. Um, Shadowland is not the same, and Madness, but in, yet I will say Madness of King Scar is the same. Is that they, you can see that there are just interpretations of the movie. Like the Endless Night song is literally that moment that yeah. I mentioned earlier, where they just where Simba just looks at the stars and collapses. That's uh-huh. the literal translation. So even and Endless Night is the same thing of like that moment in Akuna Matata where you watch Simba grow up while crossing the bridge. It's just yeah. trying to like oh, yeah. replicate how do we tell time? Yeah. And so even in that idea of theatricality, even in that idea of like how can we tell this story without the fr- without like the fancy camera tricks that we had in the animation exactly. world, how can we still tell the story? It is like ridiculously close to telling the same story in the best way it can. Shadowland, even Shadowland, I'll allow it because I think it was just a cut. <laughs> it was, I mean, like they cut it from the movie, but it was an early draft of the movie. They wanted that creepy, creepy element from Scar yeah. and Nala. It's Obviously, true. it gets yeah. cut because you know Lion King too. But yeah, <laughs> sure. But you know, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. Like it is finding these moments of, yeah, like, how do we replicate, like, a close-up in... We talk about this all the time. It's like, how do we replicate a close-up on stage? Like, we, we obviously, we have to expand it and sort of, like, ex- like pull it apart, like, th- 
put it on like a fresh and new. What is the close up? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. What, what, is, what really? is the close up in the what's story? The, yeah. What's the intention yeah. behind it? Um, I'm just glad it gives Nala like more to do. Exactly. She's she's like the most shorted character in the movie, I think. Um, So, yeah. Sarabi. Yeah, exactly. Sure. But I mean, I I, Sarabi definitely. But I would say that like Nala is more directly like in the central part of the plot from the jump. And then the second half kind of gets. Uh, nah, she's just in love with him, you know, and that's about it. <laughs> she gets um, to kick some ass, I guess. She's a badass. I was yeah. about to say, and she's a badass, though. So, yes. confusion it's over her. I mean, like, that's the reason they made Rafiki a woman, is that they're like, mm, hmm. this is a uh, lot of dudes. Very male dominated. Exactly. A lot of dudes. Let's, let's, I want to close this out. Um, I think we're all in agreement. Uh, I, again, I think the Lion King is just like, for me, it is like the last gasp of Disney theatricals realizing that a sh- the first and last gasp yeah. of the Disney theatricals breath. realizing that they could really embrace the fact that they are making a piece of theater. Like that's really yeah. what is imp- like it is like imp- not so, a theme park show. Yeah, it is embracing the theatricality. In everything it's doing, and thus it. At, well, let's talk about Tonys. We're talking Tonys. Uh, one best musical. It won best yep. music, and like I was like, okay, great, Disney. And Disney, Julie Taylor became the first. Yeah, and Julie Taylor first, became the first direct female director to win the Tony. Yeah, for best musical, for best director of a musical. Wild. Ridiculous, ridiculous that it took so long, but also good on her. Um. Liesl Tommy became the first uh, black female director to be nominated for a play. So the Tonys are not, they're a little slow. Yeah, they're not, they're not, the arbi- they are not a progressive arbiter in the world of theater. Nope. We can see Theater's not that. progressive? What are you saying here? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yes, Lion King did win Best Musical Tony. It was like, there, there you go, Disney. There is your theatrical prestige award. You did it. Um, Good on you. Um, of course, this is memorably the same year as Ragtime. Uh, wow, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the other nominees, of course, were Ragtime, Sideshow, a show that is near and dear to my heart. I was in a production a few years ago. Um, and The Scarlet's Based Pimpernel. on Krusty the Clown's brother. <laughs> Yes. 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 Obviously. Yes. Yes. yes Brian. Braced on. <laughs> yes. Braced on. Cecil. <laughs> Bob. Cecil Tawilica. <laughs> uh, voiced by David Hyde Pierce. Love that episode. Um. Uh. Anyway, but yes, but Ragtime did win best book and best score, so they're not too not too shabby for them. Uh. But then yes, Lion King pretty much swept the design awards. Yeah. It won costume design. It won. Uh, scenic design, it won lighting design, it won choreography. Uh, it was. I think I agree with all those, all of those. But ragtime and like what they gave to ragtime and what they gave to yeah, ragtime also, feels correct. Yeah, ragtime also won best orchestrations, which I would definitely agree with. That yes, bombastic original, such a beautiful score. Yes, and yeah, Audra McDonald did win, right? Yes, of course, mm-hmm. supporting actress. Yes, yeah. yeah the question but, is, what didn't Audra McDonald win? Yes, <laughs> yes. you see sure. her name. Oh, uh, but yes, yeah, so definitely it, it won swept. the Hearts of America. It swept the Tonys that year, Lion King, um, and it is, yeah, again, it is the greatest success of Disney theatricals, and I would argue for very good reason. Um, uh, Chica, speaking of uh, 
whatever. Um, I I had no good transition. Oh, before we transition, please, I did want to just I want I but I don't know if I I don't know if you talked spoke about this when gearing up to the movie, but I do think that like historically and like greater context. Um, Lion King's really important to not only the Broadway ecosystem, but to Times Square in New York City. Oh, sure. Because Disney acquired the new Amsterdam theater to present Lion King inside of. uh, Like three years before. After Beauty and the Beast is a big success, they're like, all right, fine. We're going to buy the new Amsterdam theater, um, which was the – it was built in like – the teens or earlier yeah, very and old was theater, yeah. it was the home of Zigfield Follies, which is sort of the birth of Broadway is yeah. Zigfield Follies. I mean, I think that that's a pretty easy argument to make. Um, and it was turned into a movie house in like the late thirties and then sat as a movie house until, uh, the like late seventies when then it sat, it was shuttered for two decades or something yeah. almost where, and those like, and this is like when people talk about, Oh, scary New York city time, you know, which <laughs> I think is bullshit to be yeah. clear, but like, Absolute bullshit, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, so Disney was courted by the city of New York city or the city of New York and the city of New York city. Uh, <laughs> and especially, um, Whatever asshole was the mayor before Rudolph Giuliani. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, uh, anyway, Eisner is um, the president of Disney at this time. Mm-hmm. Bill Clinton's the president of the United States. And um, so, like, we're seeing this weird sea change economically, especially on the corporate side of things, that has only gotten worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Right before all these acquisitions, just as a weird side note, Michael Eisner um, managed to do some stock optioning with Disney to make a cool 200 million plus, like just at the drop of a hat after working there for two years. Um, and then starts meeting with the governor, Mario Cuomo, Mamma mia. Uh, okay. as well as um, the mayor of New York at the time. And New York city is really trying to get Disney to, take an investment in Times Square as this beginning of this rehabbing of the Broadway, the theater district into the, you know, Disney world that it is now. Mm. And uh, I think, and it was, it's a pretty low payout, certainly by modern standards uh, by the state of New York and New York city of like 30 million to Disney to help them invest in um, the new Amsterdam theater. And, um, and then, uh, Eisner and his followers, as well as Giuliani, would then go on to, finger quotes, clean up New York City. And a lot of that was uh, on the backs of Disney and trying Mm -hmm. to get people to view downtown New York City and Manhattan as a destination like Orlando. Yeah. And, like, make it as tourist-friendly and clean and, like, spackled over as possible. And then that... and. Only because of the success of Beauty and the Beast and the amount of money that Disney made off of Beauty and the Beast, the stage show, were they like, okay, cool, we'll take this risk, i.e. be paid $30 million to um, develop this theater over the next couple of years and then make it our own. And now, and like the interior and stuff is all like this Art Nouveau style. It's a beautiful theater. I used to have this it's like big, gorgeous. thick, yeah. it's a beautiful theater. And I'm glad that like it retained that, you know, I think that's all historical uh, landmark status anyway. Um, and of course we love to see like a theater be restored to its former glory yeah. and stuff, but it is, I think that there's, I, I wish I, 
um, had a more concise like sort of thesis about all this, but I think it's very, very interesting to look at that time period and Disney theatricals acquiring a theater on the Broadway um, Mm -hmm. and then pairing that with the expulsion of uh, people people that were uh, facing housing insecurity uh, and addiction and just like, you know, sex workers and other, oh. quote, undesirables of New York City of oh, the time. No. It was uh, this this acquisition. Uh, first of all, thank you for all of that, Brian. That was very good context, probably for uh, the rest of the season. Yes. Uh, and but I think it is. Yeah, I think this it is the one of the starting points for the commercialization, the further commercialization yes. of Broadway and Manhattan in general and yes. Times Square in general. Um, there are even weird like backdoor handshake deals about specifically screens, like how if you've been to Times Square in the last 40, 30 years, there are just giant LED screens everywhere that are owned. Almost all of them are owned by one company, I believe. Oh, wow. And like businesses and buildings that come in and build in that area have to make um, special concessions for this company to have screens everywhere oh, wow. and to and um, like. There was supposedly these four office towers that were going to clean up Times Square before this acquisition that never ended up happening. And they were just going to be like office buildings. Um, And a big thing that that company did not want was the screens and just the throngs of people. They were trying to make it more of a business district like lower Manhattan and uh, stay away from this touristy thing that the governor and the mayor's office were going for. Yeah. And so it's just a there's a there's a weird web of all <laughs> kinds of stuff going on. Not even the Spider-Man web yet. Ooh, but hey It's a strange time and it certainly is. That late nineties, pre-9-11 um, like midtown is there's a very weird thing that kind of all come come like circles around this new Amsterdam theater sale to Disney. It's very interesting time. Yeah. <laughs> I, it probably is a whole book, honestly. Um, wow. What a God. Lion Just King. wanted to digress before we, <laughs> the Lion King. I mean, that is, that is brilliant. Cause it just comes back to like, I mean, no, it comes back for me. It comes back to the idea of like, was this Disney trying to be like a theatrically ambitious thing, or did it was it just sort of a lucky? Capital driven. It's yeah, it's capital driven because like I'm sure you get into with Tarzan, they tried the same thing, but they tried the template without the they tried the template without the thing. Yeah, you'll get into yeah. it the next episode. But so and then they're like, oh, we'll never do this again. Um, so it's it's just it's all capital. It's I mean yeah, it's, it's all it's all money driven at the Absolutely. end of the day, um, and we hate to see it. And then art is um, an afterthought. Well, let's have art be our first thought, Chica. Hey. Because you've now you've already you've already kind of dropped what it is, but I'll still ask the question anyway, as per tradition. So, Chica Ike, if you could adapt a movie into a musical that has not been adapted already. What will you choose? And we're dying to know the answer. <laughs> we are dying. I mean, obviously, Rocket Man. I'm sure that yeah. someone has already is already working on Rocket Man. I think so. They gotta be. They gotta be. But another fun one that I thought. I don't know if it'll work. I actually don't want it to work. Would be Practical Magic. Oh, oh you sure. don't want it to work. 
I mean, like, it just, it's one of those things, like, we've heard the stories about Mrs. Doubtfire and Tootsie, and there's Ooh, something sure, sure. about, like, the story that I'm like, I think it'll be fantastic, but, you know, it just feels really, uh, it feels like really questionable. And now they're making the notebook. And so there's <laughs> yeah. some elements. I'd be so fascinated to what that musical would even look like, how they would do it. Um, but I also know that, like, it could also just be really boring as a musical. And I don't sure. want it to be because I love, it's my comfort, it's one of my comfort food movies. And I want it. Those are both great choices. I yeah. I mean, Rocket. I think Rocket Man, especially that one, uh-huh. is just like dying to be adapted. What's that uh, actor's name? Taron Edgerton. <laughs> yes. Oh, that uh, Rocket Man. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were talking about the like sort of goofy, gross-out oh. comedy from the. <laughs> No, Early 2000s. no, 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 no. The, oh. Elton, the, the Elton John jukebox film. All right, the... less of a good choice in my <laughs> mind, then. <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's a now, good I mean, choice. It's, it'd be brilliant, and it would, it'd be like a version of Share the Musical, except better. Um, yeah. Mm. But it would be really good, but I'm also, like, really intrigued by what practical magic could look like. Yeah. It, it just seems like it'd be fun. Um, I agree. I I have no I have I I have no complaints. I've never seen Practical Magic, but I'm gonna take your word for it. <gasps> Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> so it's just I mean, like, yes, it makes sense that you wouldn't have seen it. It's not exactly marketed to, you know, anyone who's not a Sandra Bullock nineties fan rom com girl. You're right. Like, I, I'm not that person. You're right. Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense, but I think it'd just be really cute. It'd be a really cute musical. I think you're right. Um, Chica, what a joy. A thrill to have you back. I don't know if that, if you have anything to plug, anything you're working on that you can tell people uh, about. Nothing that I can share. No. Great. I can tell right? you after. Ooh, that's more exciting, though. Yeah, we love that. You have we stuff love... going on, but you can't even talk about it. Ooh. I can't. I can't talk about it. All right. Well, off mic. Off mic. Um, well, thank you again, Chica, for being here. Um, we Brett, thank you, Bren, for producing and editing the show and uh, extolling the horrors of the Disney Corporation in their commercialization of Times Square, which we will dig into next week. Uh, well, with, with next week, we're going to dig into the commercialization of the West End with another Disney musical. Mary Poppins, governor. Uh, you'll hear more of that next week. Uh, very interesting. I know. Uh, I want to thank Emily Harrington for our artwork, especially our Disney-themed artwork for this season. I want to thank M. Modaff and Josh Stanley for our kick-ass theme song. If you like the show, be sure to rate us, review us, subscribe for future episodes. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, at Movie the Musical. And if you want to support the podcast, get some sweet bonus content, go to patreon.com slash moviethemusical. Consider becoming a monthly member. You'll not only support the podcast, but you'll get bonus episodes like uh, our most recent episode on the Finding Nemo theme park musical and the Toy Story cruise ship musical and our upcoming episode on Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard's film Annette, um, which has nothing to do with Disney, but... but I got my tickets too. We're, go- we're going to see it together. It's going to be very fun. Um, that's it for now. Keep on singing. Brent, sing us, a- sing us a song. Take us out. The Circle of Lifestyle. Circle of Life. Uh, it's the Circle.
circle of Zoom in the podcast room. That'll be enough.